Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. This is what we like to call in the biz an emergency podcast because an hour and a half ago we didn't have any idea we would be coming on. And uh, the Red Sox have traded Andrew Benintendi to the Royals. It ended up being a three-team deal. The Mets are involved, so uh, the Red Sox will be getting players from both the Mets and the Royals organization, and we'll break that down uh, shortly. But I guess just kind of getting right into it, Andrew will lead off uh, with you. Let me just let me just pitch it to you this way. Three years ago, Benintendi makes an epic catch to end what I think was the final game of the Astros uh, series in the ALCS, which sent us to the World Series against the Dodgers. Ended on a very spectacular catch. Could you imagine three years later we would be trading him with two years left on his rookie deal. I think they bought up his arbitration, but two years left on his deal nonetheless. And uh, for the package of prospects we got, did could you have foreseen this? No, this is crazy <laughs> to me. Um, that catch at Houston was unbelievable. I think it was Bregman with the bases loaded, game on the line, and he just goes all out and makes that catch, which was one of the best plays in Red Sox history due to the moment and just sending them to the world series. And now here we are two years in a row talking on the 10th and it's another day where uh, one of the bees is traded last year. It was bets on this day on this date. This year it's Benintendi. And I, I love Benintendi, but something happened. Something went wrong along the way. He might've gone too big. He was never supposed to be a giant power guy. Um, he put up some solid numbers in Arkansas, but he was never Benny Biceps down there. And then when he kind of got that flow and mojo up here, he just lost his athleticism and he lost his ability to just hit. So it sucks, um, but I think it's a good move for both team and player. Gives him a chance to come back, um, to show what he worked on all offseason, which – I admittedly was optimistic on him turning it around. I thought we might see a 290 hitter, but we might see a 290 hitter in Kansas City now. Charlie, your thoughts? I I remember seeing um, his second career home run in Baltimore and thinking, "Wow, like this this is this could be something fun." Like this is a guy that, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was the seventh pick in the draft. Uh, that year, um, and we got that as a consolation for absolutely being terrible the year before that, um, and thinking, oh, wow, this would be great. And at the end of 2017, he almost had 100 RBIs. He cracked 90, and I thought, this could be someone who goes 25, 100, 30, 100. It kind of reminds me of the the mentality that people had at, like, J.D. Drew. Like, okay, maybe he hits 100. Maybe it's 30 home runs. Maybe it's 300. Like, who knows what happens? And then the following year, the home runs RBIs went down, his batting average went up and I actually thought he had a better year. Like he still stole more bases. He had a hundred runs for the first time. Like things were starting to click year after that. Every 
everything falls apart and then we all know what happened in 2020 it just i'd be lying to you if i said that you know a couple of years ago that the killer bees were going to be no longer the killer bees not even three years later like you have benintendi Betts, and bradley which uh made a formidable outfielding core one gets traded then a year later as andrew mentioned another one gets traded and one's still a free agent um this is an absolute shock. I think this is going to be good for him. Uh, I think a change of senior is going to help because it's clear that I think Red Sox ownership had completely lost faith. Uh, signing Hunter Renfro just about ended Benintendi's chance to be a starter full-time, if at all. Like It was going to be a platoon spot at best. Um, it's it's hard, but I, I do wish him the best. Some, but as Andrew mentioned, like so eloquently put, something happened uh, mechanically in his mind Something just, it was like getting the hitting yips. He couldn't hit four hits and 39 at bats. Thank God he he stopped hitting after 39 because he would have finished under 100 for the season the way that he was going. It was, it was ugly. Like things just were not clicking. Um, so I wished him the best, but I think it's, it was best for both parties to, to part ways. Yeah. Before I get going on my thoughts, I forgot to mention to, you know, both of you and, and as well as the audience, we're having like snow removal going on around my building. So lots of trucks backing up <laughs> with reverse signals, nothing I can do. So hopefully you guys in the audience can hang with it um, and and we'll just do the best we can. Uh, so, uh, you know, my thoughts, getting back to that catch, A.J. Hinch, b- before he ultimately got fired from the Astros gave Benintendi a lot of praise and he said that he watched him make that adjustment uh, just moments before the pitch that, that led to that uh, diving catch. And it was just such a, a great moment. And as Charlie was saying, Benintendi was, was drafted in, in July of, or June or July of 2016, uh, excuse me, 2015 rather. And then only 14 months later was on the big league club. I haven't seen anybody come up that fast. Maybe it's happened and it probably has. It doesn't happen often, but he flew through the minors. You know, he had that, you know, those few years with, with Arkansas and had an epic final year with Arkansas. I think he hit close to 30 bombs um, and just kind of flew up and he was, he was a, a very good hitter, had good power at first. He was elite when it came to getting on base. His OBP was, you know, in the 360s, 370s uh, that first couple of years. And and I just never would have foreseen this regression. And I think it was all mental. I know he did have some injuries, but I think it was very much a mental thing. We saw the power go. He's just stopped hitting home runs all of a sudden. He was getting hits for a while, but eventually that dissipated as well. And a lot of us had concerns coming into 2020. Can he be a leadoff hitter in place of Mookie? And it turned out that he couldn't hit at all, really. Four for 39, like Charlie said. And I don't I don't know if that injury was even legit. I maybe they were just shutting him down for the year just to get him out of there. It, it was we were well on our way to a lost season, and I I question whether you know whether he was injured to the point he couldn't come back. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But 
but you know it, it's not unheard of for you know the phantom injury to help a player kind of you know get right again and and just crazy that you know he was one of the better outfielders in the sport to you know playing for the Kansas City Royals so <laughs> it doesn't seem like just yesterday we were talking about like what do you think an extension would be to buy out his arbitration? Exactly. It's like, do we give him like the Christian Yelich seven at 49 and a half with an option? And now it's like, okay, well we paid 2.8 of his salary. So we'll get better prospects back. Now it's like, wow, he's just going to be a footnote now. And there's going to be a year of Ben attendee that we remember. And it's not this illustrious Red Sox career that, we all thought it was going to be. Do you, I, you know, do you think that people are actually going to remember him for just one season, or do you think they're just going to remember a moment? So because I, I oh, sorry, go on, sorry, no. I mean, I, I, I actually, it's funny because I was like, I think it was Benintendi, and I think it was Bregman that hit it with the bases loaded, but I don't remember. And I, I, I felt it was Bregman more than Benintendi making the catch. Because I just remember, I, I can't stand Alex Bregman. I, I literally can't. He's he's one of the players that I really do hope catches one somewhere there. Like, I, I just don't like him. And um, looking back and thinking back at it, that was a ridiculous catch. That was a ridiculous play. But that was when Ben Benintendi was completely not in his head, uh, playing games left and right out of his mind. And now it's 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 a shadow. He was a shadow of his former self in 2020. And so are we going to remember him for like the one and a half, two good seasons? Or is it going to be like you mentioned, like, oh, man, do you remember that one great play? It's like Dave Roberts is not going to be remembered in Boston for being a fantastic baseball player. He's going to be remembered for stealing the most important stolen base in history, like arguably in history, stealing second base against the Yankees, which which began the it was the beginning of breaking uh an 86 year curse like I, I feel like it's going to be like that like people will always be thankful for that catch but are we going to remember him as being a fantastic player no well i think people are going to more remember him just his personality and how much of a fan favorite he was but in terms of production, I think it's going to be 2018 and people are going to have in their mind when they look back in a few years after they're, I don't know if they're still going to be mad about this. Cause you know, Brock Holt and Ben Attendee were like the two fan pink cat favorites, <laughs> but all you really are going to be able to see on paper was 2018. There really wasn't much in 2019. Obviously 2020 was, I'm willing to give anyone to pass on, 2020 but that was terrible as well so it was really a flash in the pan with a great amazing highlight play in the alcs so i think we might romanticize it um a little bit more than um turns out to actually have been i think it depends on what he does from here really i mean and before we get into that though when you talk about the regression and the down slide that just kind of happened abruptly, is there anyone to compare 
that too? Like, has that happened previously? I mean, Alan Craig comes to mind. There might have been some injury, you know, factors in that. But it just, I just still, I'm still surprised he never bounced back. And there was another player as well I had in mind. Uh, just escaped me. But, oh, Grady Sizemore, another career that just ended early, you know, in his early 30s. But at least we actually saw his injuries, though. Sizemore's that is. Yeah. Like, those sure. were visible, and we saw that happen. Right, right, right. I don't know. I don't think – I don't uh, – that's a good question. I don't know if there's another case of a guy just all of a sudden he's done in a city. It, from a pitching standpoint, we've seen it with, you know, Daniel Bard, you know, out of our organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dontrell Willis was another guy who just kind of fell off the map, you know, as a, as a pitcher. Uh, in another organization. And um, so, I mean, it's just crazy to me how it falls off. I mean, Charlie, what what are your thoughts? Any other comparisons? Dude, Grady Sizemore, man. Oh, my God. You want to talk about throwback? He was great for, I think, like four or five years, and he was always, like, one of the better players in baseball. Everyone's like, oh, man, I wish we had someone like that on our team. And then I think he was out for, like, two seasons, it was either two out of three seasons, like he missed a season that he played and he missed another one, or he was out for two straight years. But he just he couldn't get healthy. Dontrell Willis was a 20-game winner. And then after that, yeah. it was it was just – and he, he did it as a kid. It was like his second year in the bigs. And I remember D-Train had this, like, this ridiculous leg kick before he'd go up, and it was just the goofiest delivery of all time. And he was great. And then either it was – I don't think it was an injury either. Because he didn't get injured when he started. Dontrell Willis just like, either he got figured out, something happened, but he went from 20-game winner to just bust. And it, it didn't make any sense because after his 20-game season where he won, I I don't remember how many wins he had after that. Maybe 20, 30? Like, he just, he just wasn't good anymore. It just, it was like a, it's like a player that plays really well in their rookie year and then cap sizes it just it happens you get figured out whatever um but oh god it, it it's sad i don't know i mean did grady sizemore ever have a i mean grady sizemore was would be better on is better on paper than andrew benintendi was benintendi we're going to be talking about because he made the catch or a catch which shut down bregman um i, I don't know if i could find a player because Dontrell Willis would probably be closer to, to Ben Benintendi than I think Grady Sizemore because Grady Sizemore was consistent for four or five seasons before he got injured for two years and then just was a shadow. Yeah, uh, he Dontrell, was in Boston, <laughs> and we came to Boston, and then did he? He, I think he got traded. Yeah, to he was Philly. only there for a little while. He got traded to Philly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He got traded to Philly, um, and then he ended his career, I think, in Tampa Bay because he still was in our division. Um, and I don't remember if he signed as a free agent, got traded again, but um, he kind of just floated around like a journeyman, like doing whatever. Like, I'll just play for whoever wants to sign me. Um, I I feel more comfortable comparing him to Dontrell Willis than I would be to Grady Sizemore. Um, but at one point, both were scary. You didn't want to face Grady Sizemore in the lineup, and you did want to be you didn't want to be pitched to um, if if you had Dontrell Willis on the mound, at least for the first couple of years of his career. So I don't know. Like I I don't know if it'd be fair to compare uh, Ben Intendi to to Sizemore. Maybe make a case for Dontrell, do you will? Yeah, I, and I guess what I was getting at is, 
he still has a say. You know, he can still bounce back and and have a, a solid career. Um, you know, the Orioles, uh, Oriole, excuse me, the Kansas City Royals have had a kind of an interesting offseason. And um, they're in a weird division. I mean, the White Sox on paper look like they could go to a World Series, but they might also finish last. <laughs> you know, there's just a lot of weird dynamics in that organization. I feel weird counting out the Indians. You know, they still have some decent pitching. Um, Terry Francona has never had a losing season from 04 to the present. Um, the Twins could still be you know, an upper eighties win team. So, um, so the, the Royals are interesting and I, I think they're, they're, you know, gonna try to contend this year with, with the roster that they have and, um, you know, worst case for them, you know, maybe they trade Ben and again at the deadline and, and get something back for him. But, um, so before we get into the package, I, I kind of took the temperature of Red Sox fans about how they felt about this trade, and um, it's very split evenly. There, there were f- really three choices uh, for Red Sox fans. Uh, they could have picked the option where they are bleeping pissed, 41% chose that option. Another 41% said that they were sad, but understood the trade. 10% feels uh, that it was an excellent move. And as I said, before we come on, I had to include a, not a Sox fan, no opinion option, because you're going to have Yankees fans that want to see the results. So that, that option's on there for them. But for all intents and purposes, it's, it's 50, 50, you know, as far as how people feel about the trade. And, um, you know, Heim Bloom has had a interesting couple of years. He had to trade Mookie. Um, you know, there's been a slew of moves, and uh, most of that 2018 team is, is now gone. I mean, who's left? I mean, Bogarts, Devers. Sale will be That's back. That's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah, sales on there. Erod. So uh, Barnes. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> so I guess there's a handful, but it just seems like most of the team's gone. And you know, you're gonna have the homers that are just mad. But and as critical as I am of Bloom, I mean, it had to happen because <laughs> three months from now he's still off in Neverland. And you'd get absolutely nothing. Now, yeah, I'm curious to see how many of these people that went with option A freaking. Oh, we lost. Yeah, we, we, we lose Andrew. I think I lost. I can't. Yeah, hear yeah, we lost him. Well, I'll say this much, man. Like, I'll, I'll be disappointed. I, I was disappointed when he left. Andrew, we lost you for a couple seconds, but I, I, I was disappointed. Like, kind of shocked when I heard it. And and here's the thing. I don't wish him ill will. I want him to succeed. I want him to do well. I think it just it wasn't the right the just it fell apart. Um Andrew touched up on it earlier. Like he wasn't known as being, you know, Benny Biceps. He wasn't known as being a power hitter. He was he was that kind of elusive speedster who would get on base and that was his that was his play. That was his role. 
And he tried transitioning to something that he wasn't. And I think it backfired. It was like, it was like uh, Daniel Bard was a reliever. They never should have converted him to a starter. It blew him up. And for what, seven years, he was out of the game. Then he came back last year and kind of refound himself. And that was exciting. Like I wouldn't boo him. If he came to pitch at Fenway Park, there's no way that I'm booing him when he's pitching against the Red Sox. He deserved to play. So with with Ben Intendi, you made the right move. It, it just it, it it didn't work. And you hope that again, we talked about this last year, and I'm sure Andrew would agree. You're hoping that one or two of these prospects hit because as long as yeah. like one of them hits, it's worth it. Ben Intendi, if he busts, then then whatever. If he ends up turning it back and and turning the clock around and whatnot. This isn't going to be like the same reaction that Red Sox fans have if Jeff Bagwell was the player who, who ended up blowing up and becoming one of the best first base in all, of all time. This is a guy who was only here for a short while. It wasn't working. We moved on, and, and that's it. Done. Yeah, and uh, Andrew, you left off saying uh, you'd be curious as to... Oh, yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm curious to see how many of those people that voted for option A... I want to see their tweets from the beginning of last year when Ben Attendee was, uh, what, over his first 32? So, I again, I wanted to know how much we're romanticizing the Ben Attendee we thought we were going to have as opposed to the one that we actually do. Because I think at the end of the day, we might be overrating him. And you just got to move on and get it before it's a dead asset if he does come out and hits 125 in spring training in the first two weeks of the year. And, uh, yeah, like I was saying, basically, he he did what he had to do, regardless of how I feel about him. We're getting some bad static. <laughs> I don't know. It might be your headset, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> this is... How about now? I think you're good now. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm not hearing it at the moment. But yeah, so re- regardless of how we feel about Bloom, he he did what he had to do. It was a tough scenario. He, if you could predict the future, it would be, you know, it would definitely be easier. But yeah, so uh, so Andrew, tell us about the trade package. Uh, we're getting players back from the Royals as well as the Mets. It's not a blockbuster package by any means. Yeah. So the piece that we know of the main piece that we know of right now is Frenchie can Cordero. And he's a fan graphs darling. If you want to find anything, if you want to find someone that loves you, find someone that loves you like fan graphs loves Cordero because they have so many articles on him, how he's one of the most exciting players in baseball. Uh, <laughs> and he, you know, he's got the tools for it. He's a 70 power guy, a 70 run guy. It's just a matter of making consistent contact. So if he can put it together, you got something there. If he doesn't, then we're going to be relying on the players to be named later. Uh, so the final look of this is that the Red Sox are only saving $1.4 million. Uh, so this isn't a salary dump. So we're going to get two per- prospects from the Royals and one from the Mets and I am still under the assumption and again I could be wrong I don't think I will be but I think the player from the Mets is gonna be pretty legit they got Khalil Lee from the Royals uh who's the Royals number eight overall prospect and they gave up nothing they gave up um, 
a guy that they just got for Steven Matz a few weeks ago from the Blue Jays, who I think was also Rule 5 eligible. So they gave up legitimately nothing and got number eight prospects. So I see a good player coming, at least one good player coming the Red Sox way. And that's going to be after spring training, once the minor league season starts, because both franchises agreed to let the Red Sox scout the players due to the uncertainty that last year provided. And God knows no one was in the stadiums to scout any minor leaguers. So give it a few weeks and we'll know more. Charlie, your thoughts on the return? Um, I am not as well versed as Andrew, so I'm, I'm going to defer to his expertise in that regard. But from what I can see, uh, the the two in particular with, with Franchi Cordero and with Andrew Benintendi, they're almost the same age. Benintendi, I think, has just had a little bit more opportunity, granted, of, of where he was um, in the draft. I think he had a little bit more spotlight set on him. Um, and opportunities may have just not presented themselves. Franchi's got 12 career home runs in four seasons if I'm not mistaken, and it was 2018 where he had seven of those home runs. Didn't really do too much in 2019. Obviously, last year was a blown season, so not as many opportunities for for, for teams and whatnot, but last year was his first year in Kansas City. So I don't I don't think Kansas City, if I'm – I don't think Kansas City is a hitter's park. It's more a pitcher's park than a hitter's park. So uh, that might have been one of the differences. And uh, there was one video kind of swimming around on Twitter – and uh, when you look at his follow through, there's two players that it reminds me of. It's like a hybrid version of like David Ortiz meets Ken Griffey Jr. And if that follow through and mixes in with the fact that he can see all sorts of pitching and whatnot, you know, like as a- Andrew and I are agreeing way too much today. This is, this is very bizarre. But like that fan darling, uh, this could be like finding gold, you know, like. This could have been a player that, okay, cool. So Franchi hits, and maybe we get lucky and another prospect hits. Because if Franchi hits 10 to 15 home runs this year, or, or even 10 home runs, I don't even care. That's a win. That's a win. Because I don't know if we're going to see 10 home runs from Ben and Tenney this season. No, he's not going to hit 250. No, he's not going to hit 300. He has shown the ability that he can steal a base. Maybe he can bring that back again. He's, he's young. He's 26 years old. Same age as Ben and Tenney. Um, I'd like to believe that if the right team is built around somebody like this, he has a good foundation and a good um, a good uh, camp around him. Who knows? The sky's the limit for this kid. So I, I'd like to believe, assuming positive intent, that this kid could do some damage. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Right? Let's give it a shot. Yeah, and you know, admittedly, I'm I'm definitely not a, a prospect uh, guru myself, but you know, you just kind of hope that Bloom has an eye for something, and and you know, the pitching coaches can develop the pitchers, and the hitting coaches can uh, help develop the the hitters. Basically, that's my scientific uh, analysis there. But just hoping, you know, like Andrew said, you know, one decent uh, player emerges uh, from the package and and it's going to take probably a couple of years before we really figure that out. But it'll be a cool story uh, if it happens. 
uh, one of my favorite ones. I mean, we got Josh Taylor for for Devin Marrero, <laughs> you know, and t- <laughs> Taylor didn't look great last year, but he had the COVID thing, and you know, we're not going to hold twenty twenty against many players, but but we potentially might have gotten uh, you know a high leverage reliever for for Marrero. So I'm, you just kind of hope that that someone uh, you know like that could emerge. And uh, one thing I did wonder uh, before coming on, I wasn't sure what the money situation was, but if we're only saving $1.4 million, that still probably rules out a Jackie Bradley reunion versus the whole six. Yeah, yeah, if they got rid of or all that salary, I think we would have probably seen a Bradley signing piggybacked on there, but I think we can safely rule that out. And I think Bloom said as much in his press conference tonight. I think he said, we'll continue to touch base, but this doesn't change anything. <laughs> if anything, the, the, the price for, for, for Jackie Bradley now to come back to Boston, while it does clear up a little bit of space, it's not a necessary uh, must to add him. And I know there were two teams that were in on him earlier. I know Houston at one point was in on him. That kind of cooled off. San Francisco hasn't really let up. So that's still one of the teams that is, uh, or has rather expressed a decent amount of interest on them. Uh, I think the the Houston Astros have put the candle out. The Red Sox have just about done the same thing. Maybe Toronto goes and, and gets someone like that. I mean, I, it's it, again, it goes back to one of the original things. Like, who thought three years ago that we wouldn't be talking about the killer 3Bs still all being in Boston? Like, you thought maybe, okay, maybe cards get dealt and one goes. Worst case scenario, two, but two in the same year and three within a year. Like that's just, that's silly. You know, (laughs) that's, that's silly. I'd love it if Bradley came out and was like, yo, they haven't, they haven't even talked to me since like December 19th. (laughs) Call him out on it. I'm sure they have uh, communicated since then. But it's insane. I'm at, I'm really curious to see what Boris is asking prices at this point because you figure you know, we're coming up on spring trading here. It's a week away from guys reporting to te- uh, Florida and Arizona, and you still have him. You have Odorizzi, uh, right? Please. What's his who, name? Uh, Odorizzi. Who, who's who's the agent for Odorizzi? It's not Boris. I, you know, yeah, it's not I Boris. No but no. but we know Boris. We we know what Boris does. I mean, Boris has J- J- JD Martinez is with Boris, and JD right. Martinez didn't sign before free agency when he was a Red Sox. I was so in on JD Martinez and Giancarlo Stanton that summer. I was like, let's get them both. You know, before before the season even starts, let's get them both. And then Giancarlo got traded in New York. I was like, screw Giancarlo Stanton. Let's get JD Martinez because in my mind, I was like, okay, Manny Ramirez, David Ortiz incarnate reincarnated into JD Martinez and. Giancarlo Stanton. We lost Stanton. And G.D. Martinez was like, okay, we got him, we got him, we got him. Holy crap, he won't sign in Boston. I no longer want you. You're you're causing too many problems because Boris was trying to drive up the price. It wasn't working out. He ended up getting the deal he wanted, but I'm not going to lie. At first, I was like, you you better have a career year in Boston, your first year. Because I'm super annoyed with the fact that you don't want to come play in Boston. You don't want to come play here? I don't want you here. Bye. So I, I think JD, I think that Scott Boris is doing the same thing with Jackie Bradley. If Jackie Bradley misses a little bit of spring training, he's not going to care. He wants to get his clients paid. I get it. It seems like Boris misplays a lot of the mid-level guys. You know, he, he gets his bigger clients' contracts. He can get the lower-level guys onto an MLB team. But those mid-level guys, he just kind of screws up. I think he is Mike Moustakis's. Uh, agent, uh, and they declined the qualifying offer. So, 
Yeah, you know, I think the audio thing might be me. <laughs> um, just trying to move my electronic equipment away from other electronic equipment. Uh, but Moustakis, like I said, declined the qualifying offer and came back on a $5 million deal. You know, ended up getting a third of what he would have gotten had he taken the qualifying offer. I think that was in 2017. So that was a bad misplay. Um, we know how the Steven Drew situation worked out after the World Series year. You know, he didn't end up on a team till after the draft. Um, so it's, it's and a, Paxton too. That was the one guy I couldn't think of. And uh, Boris is his agent. So Boris has a lot of work to do in the next seven days if he wants to get these guys down to Florida and you know on a field. This is crazy. You you could probably beat the Pirates and maybe like the Reds with the remaining free agents if you made a roster out of them because there are some quality guys out there. And I'm curious if any of these players are. So the first player that's going to say, screw it, give me a one-year deal, I'll just do this again next year when everything is settled. And someone, I, Someone's going to get a bargain, I, I assume. Yeah, off of Bradley especially, especially if he goes to a team with a lot of higher-end depth, especially. Well, I, I wouldn't rule out the Astros, though. I just feel like it, it makes a lot of sense. and It does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, get into one other acquisition, which isn't quite official, but it's basically official. The Red Sox have uh, basically tentatively agreed to a deal with Hirokazu Sawamura, who I think is a, is he from Japan? Did we figure that out? I'm fairly certain he is from Japan. 32-year-old reliever. Uh, it'll be a two-year, 24 million dollar deal so i guess 1.2 per season um he is coming off of a semi-rough season he um started out he was traded at you know part way through the season but when he was with his first team 608 era um you know came out of the gates uh in rough shape and then down the stretch had a 1.71 era uh after the trade so um, you know, the Red Sox have a pretty good history with Japanese pitchers. Uh, Junichi Tozawa assassinated uh, Miguel Cabrera every time he faced him in the 2013 <laughs> AL, uh, D, uh, no, excuse me, ALCS. And of Koji Uihara, you know, put forth probably the best single season we've ever seen from any reliever and at least recent history, if not ever, um, you know, so some success there. Hideki Okajima back from the, you know, 07, 08 team. So, um, you know, now Bloom is uh, trying to kind of put his mark on, on that market by bringing over Sawamura. So, Andrew, what, what are your thoughts? I love it, especially at that amount. That, that's nothing. At 1.2? That's a lottery ticket, and one I'd love to scratch because if this guy's throwing 96 to 98 with a 93 mile an hour splitter, 
he should have success in his first year if his command is right, because none of these batters will have seen him before. So there's the upper hand. Who knows? Maybe it's only good for the one year, but even if he's great this year and sucks next year, whatever. So you paid him 2.4 for one year. I, I love it. It's a low risk, high reward and have a good time in Worcester. If you can't throw strikes, it's not really going to set us back too much. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. It's it's incredibly low risk. A million dollars. I mean, what's what's the what's the veteran league minimum you'd be paying somebody in Major League Baseball? What's the I think it's minimum? around there. It's it's, it's basically there, right? that, right? Yeah. You're you're getting someone who's got uh, no track record in, in the majors. So other teams are not going to know what he's going to do. Uh, they have a slight idea, obviously. They're they're they've got like a little bit of a ticker on them. But I mean not going to blow anyone away in strikeouts. You know, he, he, I'm looking at his numbers right now. And with the Yomiri uh, team in 2020, seven innings, five runs on four hits, 10 walks, two strikeouts. So you kind of, you wonder what's going on, but overall he still finished up with 42 strikeouts and just, uh, just under 42 innings pitch. So he's averaging a strikeout an inning. Um, the, you know, the worst you could do, he fails after year one. You just, that's all right. 1.2 on the books whatever uh it's again it's not that big of a hit um when you think about it like this is just you're trying to get a little bit of depth and for 1.2 million if this guy ends up turning into like a koji uahara type player like i mean i I doubt that's gonna happen that koji was like that was insane the the luck that we ended up getting and that was all because of um pitchers the red Sox had signed from the pirates that was uh when uh, I think it was the Joel Hanrahan year. Yeah. I'm not mistaken. Hanrahan bombed, and Koji O'Hara was like, "Hold my beer, and hold my sake, whatever," and just <laughs> crushed it. Like absolutely, as you so as you put it, he redefined closer role in Boston. It was like, oh, cool, sweet. Like whenever the ninth inning is here, you know you're going to see a little bit of magic, and and that's kind of what it was. So. If this guy ends up just becoming like a situational guy, you know, okay, he's going to come in, get like one or two guys out. Sweet. Awesome. So we have like a, uh, oh God, what's the name of that? Was it Randy Myers? What was the name of the guy who was a situational pitcher? He'd come in for like one or two guys. Uh, the Mets also had a guy who who had like 46 appearances, but only had like 28 innings pitched. Uh, he'd come out for like one or two batters. Who knows if he turns out to be that, that's okay too. A million bucks. You're not paying the guy 10 million a year. Yeah, the thing about the Koji year, too, is Hanrahan was acquired that winter, and he went down, but we're like, it's fine, it's fine, we have Andrew Bailey, he's healthy now, and then he goes down with a shoulder injury, and then we're like, it's fine, it's still fine, we got Andrew Miller, broke out in 2012, and then he breaks his ankle, and then there was a lot of flip-flopping going around, and then by about July, Koji finally emerged, uh, and you know, it's it's a miracle that John Farrell figured that out, um, of all things. But, um, but yeah, so that that was Koji. And getting back to uh, Sawamura, um, you know, he's getting added to a bullpen that I was never really particularly worried about. Um, I mean, we've got a lot of depth. You, you got Darwin's and Hernandez, and I, I think. Most of us on this podcast feel like he's probably the closer of the future. But when you go outside of this podcast, it doesn't seem like anybody thinks that. You know, I had Bradford on and he thinks this is a make or break year. And, and 
you know, that's what he thinks. And uh, so just not, not a ton of people um, are convinced with Hernandez, but I'm pretty optimistic. But but aside from Hernandez, you got Adam Ottavino, you got Ryan Brazier coming off of a pretty good year. If you want to be an extreme optimist, you can say two out of his last three years have been really good. Matt Barnes, I like him as a situational guy. Uh, some people think he's the closer. Um, you know, and then you got Josh Taylor, Austin Bryce. I could see him figuring it out and, and being a you know, uh, an important part of that bullpen. And now you have Sawamura, who I think is a bonus and we'll take what we can get. And I think that cancels out Brandon Workman now. Uh, so yeah. that's the, that's the move. We are talking about how Bradley, um, you know, wouldn't be brought back, you know, with the outfield deal we just did. And, and now I think uh, it's, pretty much confirmed that Workman won't be back either. So one thing does come to mind though with Salamura though, now that I think about it, you had Sagano have a decent four year offer on the table, but chose to stay in Japan and he's going to get paid over in Japan. And uh, Salamura, you know, doesn't seem to be that highly desired by those teams if you know if he's signing a, a 2.4 million dollar contract over here so just kind of hoping it uh <laughs> hoping I'm not reading into it too much but um like I said you know if he turns out great you know it's a bonus to have him in a bullpen that has a lot of upside anyway Yeah, this is one of those moves I have zero concern about. I, it'll be a footnote in history if it doesn't work out, and if it does, we'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and uh, his name's going to get botched all season long. I already know oh, it's going to be terrible. Yeah, <laughs> my talk to text is not going to um, say his name, so it'll be interesting if he does end up being good to see what kind of a, a nickname emerges um, yeah, I mean, the first half of his first name is Hero, so, you know, maybe that ends up being it, but, um, but yeah. He's playing a hero when he comes out of the bullpen. Yeah. <laughs> so do we, um, is there any other MLB-wide things pressing? No, I think, um, we figured out that spring training was going to be, held on time uh, that there's going to be no DH. And I think that's kind of where we're at. I think it's just par for the course and I hope everyone wears their tracelets down in spring, in spring training and nothing gets shut down for two weeks and the season gets pushed back. I think we're just in wait and see mode at this point. So uh, I'll say this much. There was a bit of sad news for the Red Sox that happened today. I'm not talking about, you know, not trying to be funny about Andrew Benintendi, but I don't know if everybody heard about Billy Canigliaro. No. Benny, uh, so uh, Billy Canigliaro, Boston Red Sox, first draftee and brother of Tony died at the age of 73. Mm. So that did happen today as well. Um, They're talking about how, according to ESPN, the first ever Red Sox draftee picked uh, pick who started out in the Boston outfield at the Star Cross brother Tony later spent years taking care of him after a heart attack died Wednesday he was 73 years old 
uh, died in his home in uh, Beverly, Massachusetts. So I think I can safely say from our crew to the our family, our hearts go to your family. Uh, sorry for your loss. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and then his brother, you know, had a, you know, a sad turn of events. So, right, yeah, yep. it's a tough, uh, you know, tough, tough history for sure. Um, Absolutely. And then with Andrew, the the tracelet things, I saw a headline. Is that just for spring training? It is, but okay. I can see them trying to institute that if it works out really well. I know the NBA had them. I know football had them. And actually, I know some players got in trouble in football. I know the Raiders definitely did for taking them off. And that cost them, I think, a week because their whole offensive line went down because they all took them off and some of them caught COVID. So it's just as long as they wear them, they can track where they are, make sure they're they're not going to bars. They're not going to Magic City Wings. Uh, so we don't. We want to avoid what was it? The Marlins that went wild in Atlanta last year. Uh, yeah, they the went Wings. to a strip club. We want to, Yeah, they went to Magic City. So we want to avoid that. And whatever you can do to keep these players held in check, let's just say, because we all know that there is a lot of free time down uh, down in spring training. Yeah, I just I'm surprised like somebody hasn't thrown a fit about it. But but, you know, be that as it may. Um, I've also heard somewhere that there could be fans at Fenway uh, for the home opener. So, yeah, um, Kennedy was saying that they're still working with the city to determine what they can do. And they were cautiously, cautiously optimistic that there could be. And actually I popped on SeatGeek earlier and you can buy tickets for opening day at Fenway park. So I, I don't know why I went on that. Obviously I'm not going to be anywhere near that ballpark in Denver, but I just, I, I was just a little curious to see if they were selling tickets and there were some pretty good seats, uh, available so i don't know if that may be just a glitch or if it's a little bit of foreshadowing yeah ace ticket still hasn't resolved uh i had opening day tickets last year but and they were calling me like once a month for updates but that stopped around <laughs> august so i don't know hopefully hopefully i don't go on an ace ticket rant here but i, I should probably get in touch with them uh yeah, so I'm not going to speculate on what could or could not happen with that. But uh, all right, so I guess we will wrap with that. Uh, you know, an emergency episode in the books. Um, do we know when pitchers and catchers are actually going to show up? I would think that would be next week. Today's the tenth. So. I want to say it's usually what the first second week of February, so it yeah. should be any day, couple couple days. Uh, what truck day? When's truck day? It was, it was yesterday. Monday. It was yesterday. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought it was Wednesday. I thought oh, it, was, uh... it could have been yesterday, actually. Yeah. Actually, I thought it was today. So it was yesterday, Andrew. Was, yeah, I think I think I saw tweets on it for yesterday. Yeah. So it looks like pitchers and catchers report on the seventeenth for the Red Sox. Seventeenth. Okay. All right. First workouts on the eighteenth. Position players on the twenty-first. Yeah. Traditionally, though, the the position players seem to show up pretty early. So I'm I'm not sure if the COVID... Unless... 
Unless you're Manny Ramirez and attending your grandmother's funeral for the eighth year in a row. I think that was always his, uh, that was yeah. always his excuse for showing up like five days late. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why he doesn't get recognized in bars in New Zealand or whatever it was. So, all right. For the listening audience, we'll be back as soon as anything develops and um, enjoy. Uh, I don't know. You're. We're freezing our asses off up here in New England. It's <laughs> yeah, what's the brutal. I know. What's the weather up there? Uh, it was – the feels like temperature was nine below this morning and I was in a nice. freight liner with uh, very limited heat. So, so yeah. Jesus, dude. It was, 20, it was 22 today. That was – yeah. So it was brutal. I, I think it got up to about that. But for the audience, take care. <laughs>